Hello, my good friends. This is Dan Jones with another quiet talk to share with you today. I recently read the story of a young woman who has a very serious medical condition, a condition which her doctors have told her is terminal. In the fall of 2020, she moved to a certain town for medical medical treatment, living in temporary quarters. A friend wanted to buy her a nice coffee maker since there wasn't one where she was staying, but she didn't feel she should accept such an expensive gift since she didn't expect to live long enough to get her friend's money's worth out of it. This loving friend was not discouraged and still found a way to provide this wonderful young lady with an adequate supply of good coffee. I don't know if you've ever been offered a gift that would be considered lavish, but if you were, would you have a hard time accepting it? I want to talk about extravagance today. There's a story in the Bible of someone being given an extravagant gift, worth much more than a fine coffee maker. Although it bothered some who were looking on, the gift was accepted without hesitation. Some of you have already guessed who I'm talking about. At the beginning of the week in which Jesus died, he went to a banquet in the village of Bethany, just about two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus often stayed there in the home of his close friends, Martha, her sister Mary, and brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. During the banquet, Mary came to Jesus and poured out upon him a flask of very costly ointment, which was worth the equivalent of a year's wages for the average worker. That's some expensive perfume. The rich fragrance of this precious ointment filled the house. In a sense, everyone was blessed by this extravagant act of worship. Judas, who was the treasurer for the Lord's disciples and knew the price of things, criticized Mary, and really by extension Jesus, for this outpouring. This ointment could have been sold for a year's wages and the proceeds given to the poor, he said. Of course, Judas was not the last person to express a phony concern for the poor to cover up his greed. But what stands out to me here is how Jesus did not apologize for accepting this expression of Mary's love for him. Remember that just before this event, he had brought her brother back to her alive from the graveyard after he'd been dead for four days. Jesus defended Mary by saying, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus could have said, Yeah, that was nice, and I know she means well, but Judas has a point about the poor. He didn't say that. 
Here's another thought. What did this anointing really do for Jesus? Did it lessen the pain of the cross? Did he hang there later that week and think to himself, wow, this experience would be a lot worse if Mary hadn't poured that perfume on me? Of course not. So why did he praise Mary? Jesus's reaction was not to the gift itself, but to the heart behind the gift. Mary already loved Jesus, but after her brother was raised from the dead, her love was perfected, you might say. This was a person whose heart belonged completely to Christ. Her heart was not divided. And this is what Jesus wants for all of us. He doesn't need our material wealth. As I said, the expensive ointment didn't really have a long-term practical effect in his life. But Mary's devotion was long-term. She benefited from this deep love for Christ. And here, 2,000 years later, we benefit as well. Have you ever given an extravagant gift to Jesus? You may say, I'm not as wealthy as Mary apparently was. Doesn't matter. You have your life. That's all he wants. He wants all of you there is to have. You only have one life in this world. To give it to Jesus is indeed extravagant. For the rest of our minutes together, I want to turn this idea around. I started with the story of a young woman who was offered an expensive gift. Now, think of yourself not as the giver of an extravagant gift, but the recipient. What gift have I been offered, you say? The gift you have been offered is not perfume or a coffee maker or anything else that can be bought with money. Jesus Christ is offering you the gift of himself. The Bible uses language about our relationship with God that on the human level we normally reserve for romantic love. As a matter of fact, there is an unusual book in the Bible that on the surface is about romantic love. It's called The Song of Solomon, and it speaks in frank terms about the love between a man and a woman. Scholars have interpreted this book in different ways. Some say you should only read it for what it seems to be a love poem. Others have seen deeper things there. I'm one of those. If you've known and experienced the unimaginable love that God has for sinners, you know, people like me, then it's not hard to read between the lines in the Song of Solomon. Let me just share one of those lines. There's no complicated language here, no big theological words, just the kind of thing you'd say about the one that you love with all your heart. Here it is. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. If we can use this kind of talk about our relationship to God, if we can say he is mine, does that mean that we can actually possess God? Apparently. Look at another one from the book of Lamentations. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I will hope in him. Jeremiah said those words as he sat in the ashes of the city of David, Jerusalem, which had been wiped out 
by the Babylonians. All he had loved as a faithful Israelite was no more. And yet, he realized that he had a possession that no foreign enemy could take from him. The Lord was his portion, his possession, his inheritance. My friend, do you own this priceless treasure? You can own it, but there is one condition. For Christ to be yours, you must be his. You must give him yourself. You must yield up your life to Jesus, your body, your money, your future, your family, your all. To do that would be very extravagant, but not more extravagant than the priceless and eternal gift that God has given to us, his one and only Son. Jesus came into this world not just to save us from sin, not just to keep us out of hell. Jesus came to make us all rich. Those riches do not consist in money or any other material thing you could own in this world. Our wealth is knowing God. Our wealth is intimacy with him. Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that you're a gift giver, indeed a giver of extravagant gifts. You've given us the gift of yourself. There's no greater treasure than the treasure of knowing you. I pray for those that might be listening to this talk today that they'll receive the gift you offer, and in turn they will give themselves completely to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. My dear friends, uh, would you continue to remember us in prayer? I say this every time, but I really mean it, and I hope you will follow through and just do it. It doesn't cost anything to pray, just some of your time. So would you pray for us uh, who are beginning uh, a church in the Schenectady area? It's called Bread of Life Anglican Church. We meet Sundays at 10 o'clock at the uh, American Legion Hall, which is located at 1809 Union Street in Schenectady. You're in the area, you don't have a church home, we would love to meet you and visit with us there Sunday at 10 a.m. As always, you may reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. May God bless you.